Matthew 5, 38 through 42. reads, You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, don't resist an evildoer. On the contrary, if anyone slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. As for the, uh, the one who wants to sue you and take away your shirt, let him have your coat as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to the one who asks you, and don't turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Let's pray really quick. Dear Lord, thank you so much. Lord, I pray that right now as we try to understand this short passage, we would understand something about you. We would understand what it means to be a believer, what it means to be a child of God, a citizen of heaven. Lord, help us right now. Amen. So, before we begin, I, I just want to remind us of two of the sermons that we've already heard in this passage. Uh, the first one, I want to go back to the very beginning that Josh Womble introduced us to this whole thing. I think that this passage uh, makes the most sense when we remember its context in this whole sermon. Josh Womble taught us uh, that the whole sermon uh, on the mount teaches us not necessarily just what Jesus is saying, but it teaches us a lot about Jesus, right? And Womble reminded us that Jesus is our prophet. He's our protector, and he is our provider. I think to understand this passage, we, we need to remember those three things. So try to think back really briefly. You know, why is he our prophet? He's our prophet because he is teaching us something. He is an instructor, and we learn from him, right? He is our protector, and I think that we'll see in this passage, he is our protector literally because Jesus, God, is the one who is able to protect us. I, we'll see that in Matthew in this little section, God doesn't intend for us to be the ones to necessarily ultimately protect ourselves because he is our protector. And then finally, he is our provider. We'll see in this passage how he, God tells his people to give. And ultimately, we're going to give because Jesus and God the Father have provided to us and we are able to give. So let, let's not forget that context that Jesus is our prophet, protector, and provider. And then I've said, I said I want to remind us of two sermons. The next one, uh, Jake, last week, pointed out something really important. He, he drew the distinction between uh, this line that Jesus keeps saying in this sermon. Jesus keeps saying, uh, you have heard, and then he goes and tells us something you've heard about, but I tell you. And then Jesus goes on and, and reinterprets this, Right? That is also a really important part of us to understand this because yet again, this, this passage begins with, you have heard. But I think the point I want to make here is this. Jesus isn't merely, he is, he's not merely just reinterpreting these Old Testament texts, these old sayings that they have heard, these teachings. He's drawing a distinction of life. There are there is a different type of life between people who are inside the kingdom of God and people who are not. 
inside the kingdom of God. Let's not forget that what Jesus has to tell us today about turning the other cheek, about not resisting one who does evil against us, is not just a recommendation about how one should live, but instead it is a command from the sovereign God to his citizens in his kingdom, live this way. This is what it is like to live in the kingdom of God. And I want us to remind us of that. And so, how then is he instructing us to live? We'll, we'll, we'll look back at the verses slowly. So you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, don't resist an evildoer. On the contrary, if one slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other to him also. You know, as I was beginning to read this passage, I realized something about myself and something about, I think, our culture in general. Some, and, and that's this. Anytime I have ever in my life been offended, my immediate response is, how can I repay this person? Not to just repay. How can I get revenge? How can I make this right? And then I started looking around outside of myself and I realized that's not just, that's not just me, is it? And so I think if all of us consider ourselves, consider ourselves we might say, yeah, that's the same. I, I actually had a conversation with Josh Green just the other day and he was telling me of a, uh, of a young man who received a text message about basically saying, hey, you and I have this issue. Why don't you come and meet me right now and let's settle it? And this young man is wondering, well, what am I supposed to do? Do I go and settle it? I mean, I don't want to be dishonored. I don't want to be shamed. I don't want to look weak. I don't want to look soft. What do I do? Well, I, I think Jesus here is, is pretty clear in that. He tells you. If anyone slaps you, then turn the other cheek. You see, this, this whole idea of a slap, we might not get it. In fact, I asked a bunch of friends recently, what do you think, like, what does it feel like if you were slapped? And I got all sorts of answers from different people. I was told, well, it might sting, yeah. It might, it, it, and then I've heard, well, it depends how you're slapped, uh, if you're slapped like this, this part of your hand, the four fingers, it, it might just sting. If you're slapped the whole hand, it could really hurt. Or worse, if you're slapped the back of the hand, it could cut. It could bruise, right? Well, I finally asked someone who wasn't an American, who's from another country, and asked, said, what, how would it feel if you were slapped? And his answer was so different than any other American answer I heard. He said, I would feel ashamed. And I think... This is what Jesus is getting at. And this is what the people are hearing when they hear and I, that, that this man has been slapped. They're thinking, what did this guy do to be so shameful that he should receive this? And, and that is kind of the heart of this passage, isn't it? This is less just about retaliation. This is kind of a passage about shame and, and something that we don't necessarily understand too well. But, but I think we, as a, as a culture, we, we actually, we do get shame, but we just treat it differently. We think when we're shamed, we, 
We might not slap somebody, but we might ignore them. We might turn our backs to them. We might gossip about them with our neighbors. We might just say, bless their heart, which is code for you stupid idiot. (laughs) I guess my, my point here with you all is this. There are times in life when we will feel so ashamed, you will feel embarrassed, you will feel disrespected, you will feel threatened, even physically. And, and Jesus is telling us, you know, in your old kingdom, your kingdom of the flesh, this kingdom that you once were a part of, you want to retaliate, and I know it. But I'm telling you, don't. Turn the other cheek. Give yourself up. In fact, if they want to shame you in whatever way, give them the other side and let them do it more. This is mind-boggling to me. And this is likely mind-boggling to you. How on earth can we do this? And for the longest time as I was reading this passage and praying and thinking, what on earth am I going to say? That was the question I had. How on earth, Jesus, can I do that? But remember, Jesus is our prophet. He is our protector and our provider. And so this is the question I found myself asking, I said, why can I, or why can we trust God to live like this? And I have a couple of, of points. This is not necessarily here for Matthew, but it's true of the Bible. And we're going to come back to Matthew for more to see how, it, how, how these truths play out in this passage. But listen to these couple of points about how we can trust God to live like this, to live in such a way that when we are disrespected, we will be able to to respond with humility and love and kindness. So the first one, the first thing I want to remind you of is simple. God is in control of everything. Absolutely everything. I'm turning quickly here to um, Romans chapter 8. And I just want to read a verse that we have all heard, a couple of verses that we've heard so many times. It says, and Paul is writing this in the midst of suffering. And he writes, We know that, in all, that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. For, he, for those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, so that, the, so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers. You see, God is in control of all of this. He says all things work together. You being shamed, you being slapped across the face, is God is in control of that. And we can't forget this. Another verse I'll go to quickly is Ephesians 1. I think... I guess I'm going to pause real quick. Both of these letters are written by Paul. And, and Paul had such a good understanding of like, that God was in control of everything because I think a lot of bad things, a lot of disrespectful, a lot of shameful, harmful things happened to Paul, and he never forgot this. God is in control. In verse 111 of Ephesians, it says, In him we have also received an inheritance because we were predestined in according, because we were predestined according to the plan of the one who works out everything in agreement with the purpose of his will. The end of that verse, did y'all catch that? He works out everything in agreement to the purpose of his will. He made a plan and everything happens according to that plan, even being slapped in the face, even being disrespected. 
Now, not many of us get slapped in the face on a daily basis, but we know what it's like to feel disrespected. We know what it's like to feel suffering, even. The Christian life is not necessarily an easy one. It's kind of guaranteed not to be an easy one. But but God is in control. There is so much that will happen in our life. There are so many things that will cause you to feel like dirt. In fact, this idea of a slap to emphasize what this might feel like then, when the Jewish audience or even this Greco-Roman audience that saw it, Gentiles, Jews, it didn't matter. They see someone get slapped. The first two things they think, either one, that guy did something so bad, he honestly probably deserves to die. If you would get slapped in public like that. Or two, if that man didn't deserve that slap, then the man who slapped him deserves to die or deserves some severe punishment because that's what that communicates. But Paul tells us, even in situations where you receive this slap, likely what Jesus here I think is implying unjustly, he tells you, don't retaliate. He tells you that God is in control. And that's the first thing that we need to remember. The second thing we need to remember, so remember asking the question, why can we trust God to live like this? Two, God owns everything. God owns absolutely everything. There is, I think, no better concise passage to communicate this than Psalm 24, if I can get there. Verse 1 just starts off, guns blazing, the earth and everything in it, the world and its inhabitants, belong to the Lord. Verse 2, for he laid the foundation on the seas and established it on the rivers. I mean, that says it pretty clearly, isn't it? The Lord owns everything, y'all. So why can we trust God? He owns it all. And this is everywhere, everywhere inside the Bible. Again, I have so many little citations. I'm going here again now quickly to, to, to Job. Oh man, I'm going the wrong way. Y'all ever been like, read Job a thousand times and you can't remember where it is? Okay, anyway, I'm going to move on. I'm sorry. <laughs> So I'm going to pause right here just because this happened. Young preachers, we often get very worried about how long we're going to preach. And I had a very good friend recently tell me, hey man, I love you and and preach the truth. (laughs) And so I'm very, very thankful for that friend. But anyway, God does own absolutely everything. I have more passages. Luke. So Luke 12, 32. Luke 12, 32. And this is one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible. Don't be afraid, little flock, because your father delights to give you the kingdom. 
In fact, he goes on to say, sell your possessions and give to the poor. Make money back for yourself that won't grow old. An inexhaustible treasure in heaven where no thief comes near, no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, your heart will be also. Man, the Father delights to give you everything. And so how can I trust God to live in such a way that when I receive shame, when I receive disrespect, when I receive pain, I can respond with restraint and humility? I know that God is in control. My God owns everything. The next one. How can we trust God to live like this? You are God's child. Did y'all catch that? You are God's child. In Luke 12, he refers to God's people as a flock. We also know Psalm 23, our God, God is our shepherd. Father and shepherd are so similar. They're providers. They're caretakers. They give everything that we need. For here, I'm just going to very quickly go to 1 John. 1 John chapter 3 here. And listen. Starting, uh, starting in chapter 3, it says, See what great love the Father has given us that we should be called God's children. And we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it didn't know him. Now, dear friends, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet been revealed. But we know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. First John is my favorite passage to remind me that I am a child of God. And I remember all these other passages of how God provides for us. And so my question always, I go back now, why can I trust God to live like this? Because I am his child. He is my protector. He is my provider. He owns everything and he is in control. Nothing that happens to me in this world can ever take that away. Nothing. And just as a gentle reminder, we also have the Holy Spirit in us. You are not alone in having to respond, right? We know that as believers, we have the Holy Spirit living in us, enabling us to respond in such a way that would honor God and, 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 not, and not just gratify our own sinful desire for revenge, but the Holy Spirit is able to nudge us and remind us of these things. And so we're back to Matthew now. I know I've had you flip all over the place, but it's important. We need to know these promises that God gives us to be able to respond well. So now, I... If any, on the contrary, if anyone slaps you on your right, turn the other cheek to him also. So we asked the question, how do we do that? And we answered it. And then I think it's interesting. He that Jesus doesn't just present these words, this lesson as like a non-retaliation type of thing. He's not just teaching us when you are attacked, you just don't retaliate. No, that's not enough to be a citizen in the kingdom of God. Instead, not only do that, but, but, but what does he say next? And ask for the one who wants to sue you and take away his, your shirt, let him have your coat as well. 
And then the next verse. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them too. And so, so this is the next question I asked. Well, why can I trust? The first one was, why can I trust God to live like this? And we got our answer. He's in control. He owns everything. We're his child. And then I said, okay, well, Jesus, if, if that's true, God, if that's true, how, how am I supposed to demonstrate that I am trusting you? And, and how, how can I demonstrate that? Well, he tells us, doesn't he? He says, give. I, feel, I don't know if there's a better word in the English language to describe that. Just simple, easy, give, right? Be generous. So how should we respond Sunday school answer, be like Jesus. You see, Jesus here isn't telling us to do anything that he himself hasn't already done. He's, he's telling, for those who have tried to hurt you, I want you to not respond with hurt, but I want you to respond with generosity and love and kindness, and I want you to give up yourself. Very explicitly in the last verse, give to, literally says, give to the one who asks you. If someone asks you of anything, do you give it? Do you say, yeah, I'm here, take this. And then, but e- even more, uh, it's, it's, and don't turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. you how, are we that quick to, to give? Um, I asked uh, that we read Philippians 2 for our call to worship. Um, and Josh said it beautifully. It's a text we know. It's a text I hope like all of you know. If it's one you don't, please go memorize it. Remember this. When you think of Jesus, I hope you think of this passage. Because Jesus in Matthew 5 is instructing us how to really be like him, how to be in the kingdom, how to be a citizen of, of, of him. But what he's doing is he's saying, be like me. Right? Let me read that passage again. Now, I'll start at the beginning of chapter 2 in Philippians, verse 1. It says, If there is any encouragement in Christ, any consolation of love, any fellowship with the Spirit, any affection of mercy, and these are like hypothetical. If you were in Christ, the answer is yes, I have these. Then he says, Paul says, Make my joy complete by thinking the same way, having the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. And then verse 3, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility, consider others as more important than yourselves. Guys, when we receive shame and when we receive offense, when we receive anything like that, but we respond in humility, we're acting like like Christ. Verse 4, everyone should look out not only for their own interests, but also to the interests of others. And finally, Paul kind of sums it up here telling us that, hey, and by the way, you're not just doing this because it's good, you're doing it because you're adopting, verse 5, the same attitudes of Christ Jesus, who though he was God, he, was, he is God, the greatest thing that we could ever imagine and more. He didn't consider himself equality with God, but that's something to be grasped. But instead, he emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of man. And when he had come as man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient, even to the point of death on a cross. That was what Jesus did. And so is Jesus asking us right here in Matthew 5 to do anything that he isn't already or in in the passage about to do? No, he's not. He's telling us, be like me, please. 
And so I urge us, church, why? Or how should we respond? Number one, very simply, how should we respond? We should be like Jesus. We should give generously. When someone asks for your shirt, give them your cloak. When someone asks you to walk with them one mile, and that wasn't just, in that culture, if they asked you to go a mile, that wasn't necessarily just, hey man, I I need you to go on a walk, you want to go? That was likely a Roman soldier saying, you carry my bag for a mile. That was legally allowed. And Jesus telling them, walk too. And then he says, if anyone has to borrow of you, give it. And so, again, I keep asking the questions. How should we respond? We should respond like Jesus, which is humbly, self-giving, right? So give generously. Think of just, I guess, application for people like me, people like who are in our culture. We should fight against our tendency to, when we are threatened or imposed upon or our honor is questioned, fight the tendency to what's the, the phrase, bow up, you know? You don't want to just go up to someone and, and say, like, you know what, you're questioning me, you ready to go? You want to fight? Don't, don't do that. Jesus says, no, don't, don't do that. So let's fight that tendency. How else should we respond? We should pray. It doesn't say it here necessarily in our text, but I think it goes without saying. Guys, this is against our nature, and we, we, we need to be able to respond in such a way to people who are out to harm us, people who are out to dishonor us, people who are out to insult us because we are Christians and we believe in a God who they think doesn't even exist and they think we're making it all up. We need to be able to respond in such a way that says, man, I still love you. In fact, I'm gonna serve you and give my life up for you. know, I, I want to say something, though, about this passage that I really was confused about for a long time, and maybe I don't have all the answers about it, but it's important to note, if, if there is like a, a crime or something that is actually illegal or some type of physical or other form of assault against you, it is not dishonoring to God to, to say this is wrong and to go and ask, tell the authorities and go tell someone else for help. I feel like we're in, I question even if I would say this tonight, but we're, we're in such a culture that uh, you can go way too far on either side. But we need to be able to say, I can honor God and respond humbly when people come and attack me, yet also there is this, there is still a level in which God hates, hates injustice, like Josh talked about a second ago when we were praying, right? God hates injustice. And if everything, anything were to happen to you or someone you know, especially if it is illegal and against the law, it is not dishonoring to God to just say, oh, oh well, I can't say anything. No, it's, it does honor the Lord to go and, and tell the authorities or tell whoever you might need to there. And I also want to acknowledge the pain that is true when the appropriate time comes when you are hurt and, and someone lashes shame and disgrace on you or, or even physical pain. 
There's real pain that happens there. And the Lord Jesus is not telling us that, hey, turn the other cheek, it doesn't hurt. He's not saying that. He's saying it hurts. And I am your God and I love you. I am your God and I have everything. I am in control. I am your protector and your provider. You are my child and I love you and I will not abandon you. But turn the other cheek. I am with you. I think of y'all, y'all remember the life of Joseph, right? Life, Joseph was crazy. His life was crazy. He was this, this young boy. He's just a shepherd. He goes out, I'm going to check on my brothers one day and those brothers put him in a pit. You go, okay, I'm in a, that's not good. Uh, but in Genesis, the whole story of Joseph is this beautiful theme. It says, but God was with him. And so Joseph goes on, he gets sold into slavery. He starts doing a little bit better. He's in Potiphar's house, but then what happens with Potiphar? Uh, he, he's, there's a lie told. There's shame and dishonor and disgrace poured upon him, and the Lord says, yet I was with Joseph as he's in jail for three years. And then he's exalted to the second command of Egypt. But, but, but the whole time, that wasn't the point. The whole point was that the Lord was with Joseph in that. And I say that to say there will be pain, there will be disgrace, there will be honor, dishonor in the Christian life, but yet the Lord is, is with you, just like he is with Joseph. Just like Christ is reminding us right now, you are a citizen of a kingdom, a child of God, where God is your protector and your provider. So guys, I don't, mean to try to make this, this sermon any more complicated than it is. It's a simple text, I think, one that is, we understand what God's trying to tell us, but it's so hard, so hard to do. And so I would beg you all this week and the weeks following, continue to pray that we would, that the Lord would give you patience and kindness and humility to be like Christ, to be self-giving, to love those who hate us, to love those who put shame on you, to give you, empowered by the Holy Spirit, the ability to respond in such a way that says, I love you. You know, next week we get to hear from Joe about loving our enemies, and I, I can't wait for that because I think that's part two of this. And so, anyway, y'all, let's, let's pray. Lord Jesus, I love you. And Lord, I even right now, feel the, the, the tension of, of wanting to defend myself when I feel threatened. Lord, help me to trust you, to know that you have given everything, you're in control of everything, there is absolutely nothing, nothing outside of your control. Thank you for providing for us. Thank you for providing your son. Thank you for providing life to us so that way when these situations arise, we are able to respond in such a way that honors you. God, as we go forward this week, please give us generosity. No matter what form that may be, no matter whether we see someone who is just down on their luck or whether it's just we feel led by the Holy Spirit to give to someone something, I pray that we would do that. Lord, you have everything and you have given us everything as children. So we thank you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.